Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And this week, I have a a really awesome um, surprise for you all. Um, and I, I'm just gonna, it's gonna be a little bit of a different podcast than you're used to, but I think it's fantastic. So I have invited Philip Kinney. So, Philip, say hi to everyone. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I invited Philip Kinney back to the podcast because um, he's been on the podcast before and he was um, sharing with us his work called The Writer's Crucible. And I purchased the book and purchased it for my writer's group that I'm involved with. And I've read through the book and I just really felt like it was important to bring Philip back onto the podcast. And we'll see if it's one episode or two episodes. So stay tuned to see what ends up happening where we can dive a little bit deeper into the concepts of around his book. So, um, because I feel like it's very timely and very important for creative individuals to read his, his book. It's fantastic. So first, Philip, let's just do some general introductions for some of those that may not have heard your other prior podcast. So tell us a little bit about yourself, what um, state you reside in the Pacific Northwest, and I'll gear us towards the concept for this podcast after you do that. Yes, uh, I live in Portland, Oregon. Been in the Northwest since 1975. I'm in exile from the East Coast. And I uh, am a uh, practicing psychotherapist. Been doing so for about 40 years, working with many, many people of all sorts of, you know, stripes, etc. cetera. Uh, but I've worked with a lot of writers and artists, which... Um, partly inspired me to write the book. The other thing that inspired me was my own writing practice. I've been writing for 20, 25 years. And mm-hmm. I've written a novel and a couple of books of poetry. And uh, now this book on the, the, the uh, process of writing, the psychological, emotional um, challenges of uh, being an author. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Well, um, listeners, I'm going to read just a couple little sections from the back of the book so you kind of understand where, why I feel like this is important for us creatives. And I say creatives because you don't just address the author's life, you also address creative individuals in, the, in this book. So, which yeah, I A few people have admonished me for um, narrowing it to writers, but I did so because I'm a writer and I wanted yeah. to connect with writers. But but it really is a good book for creatives of all sorts. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely the message I got in there. <laughs> so, yeah. so um, in the, on the back of the book, it, it says the writer's crucible provides a map for navigating the turbulent emotional waters of a creative life. It does so by helping writers understand the psychological psychology, sorry, of vulnerability. Perhaps the most common vulnerability, vulnerability we face is the persistent sense of not being enough. I'm not going to read any more of the back, but right there um, for me, as I start, as I read this book, Philip, I'll tell you, um, I, I started reading it during a, a really interesting time. You knew about it. I had a car accident and my mind, I yeah. went through a concussion and all this weird stuff. Started it before that, had to put it down because I wasn't supposed to do anything, read, write, do podcasts, anything, and came back to it. And, um, and as you know, I'm working through my first book, writing my first no, book no. and the journey of that. But what 
so was profound for me is that idea of um, not being enough or being good enough. And I feel like that's kind of the first real big half of the book. So can you go a little bit deeper into detail about, without revealing too much of what you wrote in there, but give us a little bit of understanding about why writers or creative individuals really struggle with the idea that we're not good enough. Sure. Well, you know, I work, as I said, with a lot of writers and artists, and I work with people who aren't writers and artists. And I have to say that I think this is an epidemic of, of, that sort of goes to the core of our, the people of our society. And that many people are really kind of plagued with this sense that they're not enough or something's wrong with them, or they're not worthy, or they're not lovable. They all sort of come down to the same core sense of being of lack, of uh, feeling uh, not good enough. And, uh, and I've encountered that in myself, in my own writing. And as I went from my cozy little office out into the, the rugged, Game of Thrones-like world of publishing. (laughs) 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 uh, Felt my neck slit on many occasions. But, uh, and just felt the struggle with maintaining self-regard in in creative work. And there are so many um, occasions uh, for um, coming, feeling like you're coming up short or for the critical voices inside to take over. And in fact, of course, when you read, you know, most um, successful authors and great authors, they, they will always say that what? That they fall short. Mm-hmm. They, they rarely make it, but they never make it all the way. That's the nature the, the, of the yearning and the, the, um, of the work of being an artist. You produce wonderful stuff, but there's always this feeling of coming up a little short, mm-hmm. which... It, it translates psychologically, unfortunately, that normal condition and that normal sense of combining both, you know, excitement and, and disappointment. Mm-hmm. Disappointment, short, often for many people, especially if you've had some rugged experience in your history, it gets translated and converted into the story of not being good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I wrote this. And, the, and, that, and that's the story in our mind, the self-talk that yeah. we hear and and can cause many challenges, right. such as writer's block or how you talk about it in the book, it can it constricts. I love that that picture. And of, the self-talk is, is just the surface of it. You know, uh-huh. self-talk's pretty obvious. You know, you suck. You're mm-hmm. really kidding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, but it goes deeper than that, and that's what some of the book goes into, too, the depth psychology of it, in which the story is quite unconscious in, in many mm-hmm. respects, quite elaborate in terms of um, defining our um, inadequacy or deficiency. And so my book tries to get to the depth of that because mm-hmm. a lot of, there's a lot written about this and, and the struggles authors do, but a lot of it, I feel, is, is good. It's helpful, it's well-intentioned, but it doesn't go deep enough. It's a little bit, it's an offering of perspective and or um, reframing uh, ideas, but 
it's a little bit like painting the house before you've scraped it, you know. Mm-hmm. It, it mm-hmm. doesn't stick. Yep. Until you go to the heart of some of the emotional uh, constrictions that that bind the story to the self. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes it, it makes absolute wonderful sense. And um, the constriction part was such a visual for me. It was fantastic. It, it really helped me understand it um, in a way that didn't freak me out, I guess I can say. Because I've experienced that myself, the feeling of, of being constricted and not knowing why or how or right. how to fix it, right? And so, what, so listeners, what I love about this book is that so um, Philip will he breaks down the book into several um what is it parts so you have part one part two and part three and the first part he titles the project and he goes pretty much into depth about um what i kind of feel like and philip correct me if i'm wrong the human condition (laughs) you know that maybe not not all of us really realize the condition that we can live in by being um and you can even have grown up in a fabulous home in your life, but there's trauma that can come through your life that, that is the human condition of being human. And, yes. and then you define um, certain things like self-project, the vulnerable self, the um, self-defense, and then the good enough self, and then you go into the odyssey. So that's all in part one, which I think, the, and I know this might not sound like um, flows together for the re- listeners as you're listening to me talk about it. But the part that I love about each one of these parts is that Philip really defines what he's talking about and, and allows you a space using exercises. So it's not just a book that you straight read through. You want to give yourself some time to read through and practice the exercises. Because <laughs> yeah. It works best that way. So it's not going to be a book you're going to probably get done in a week. You're going to need to, you know, carve out some time for it. So talk a little bit about the concept of the exercises that you use because they do a frame on meditation. And um, tell us the practice around that and why that's so powerful. The practice around meditation or the... Yeah, Yeah, because Uh the practice of how meditation and how you use them in these exercises can help the readers understand what you're trying to get us to. (laughs) Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah. Uh Well, let me just say one thing too plain off what you said about the human condition. And one thing um, that I think is really very much part of the human condition and is accentuated in writers because writers and artists let's face it, are very sensitive people mm-hmm. and sometimes more sensitive than they, for their own good or they'd like to be. And one of the things that is um, inherent in being a human being is uh, the process of internalization. Mm-hmm. And internalization we do all the time, of course, with, you know, we take in food, we take in air, take in all sorts of things. Um, and then, but as an artist, you're also, your senses, because we're always looking for the detail, your senses are greatly attuned to taking in and internalizing um, the world, its people, its conversation, its nuances. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all necessity. The problem is um, it comes in either in early childhood or at some point in life when you encountered pain, suffering, trauma, perhaps. The the internalization, psychological internalization can take over. 
uh, in terms of um, misconstruing uh, what's happening and internalizing a sense of self-blame or self-responsibility. Mm-hmm. So writers, I think, are quite susceptible to internalizing a sense of um, uh, taking in the bad, taking in something's what's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. The, the lot of answering that question is, is at the heart of their perceptions. So in the book, there's twofold. There's experiences or experiments that are set up to um, help become aware of and identify your own personal maps of what you might be internalizing mm-hmm. that lends itself to support the, um, <clears throat> the uh, narrative that you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And in particular, um, the, the, the emotion, the constricted emotion that supports the I'm not good enough narrative is shame. Mm-hmm. Shame is such a, a doozy. I mean, it is, it is such a binding emotion, constricting emotion. So there's exercises to identify how you might internalize blame mm-hmm. and, it, and have it turn into shame. You know, what sorts of situations are you most vulnerable to uh, seeing as uh, your fault, for instance, or your shortcoming, uh, any number of things. Of course, we get rejections in the mail, you know, a couple mm-hmm. times a week. And so it's easy to feel bad. It's easy to, it's hard to keep your head on and say, well, you know, this is, these people, it's a, it's a, a market economy. It's all, mm-hmm. it's all about money and the agent who turns you down. The hundred eight who turned you down aren't necessarily judging your work as a writer for its quality, but they're judging it, of course, for whether they can make money off of it. Mm-hmm. So there are exercises to identify how you can create and keep on creating the shame narrative. And there's also meditation exercises to help you get past that, to transcend it, if you will, mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to connect with your inner being, which in my mind, and which I go on to say in the book, your inner being is intimately connected with the source of being, with, with I call it the creative impulse. So, mm-hmm. so meditation exercises, I think, are really vital. And of course, my own prejudice is a, some sort of spiritual practice is vital to undo or sidestep the identifications, uh, which become sort of calcified, around the narrative that I'm not enough or the, or the feelings of shame. Well, you explained it absolutely perfect. So, and I hope that explanation will pique listeners that um, haven't purchased your book yet or haven't, you know, have, are just hearing about it for the first time. Because honest to goodness, I know that there might be people out there skeptical of how that internal um, review or meditation or whatever you want to call it, inventory, <laughs> using exercises from a book like this can be beneficial. Um, I, I'll admit I, I have been one of those in the past. But walking through your book, it, I feel like I am coming to terms with the fact that I 
I'm not there yet, but I am good enough. And, and I do feel like more importantly that it has opened up that creativity in me that I felt like was being blocked for some reason. And I'm identifying, I'm starting, I'm starting to identify my reactions now versus where I was just reactive. Right. You know, let, I'll give example. So, um, before, you know, if I got somebody that, that read some of my material and they gave me a negative or I felt a negative feedback, um, I would internalize it so much that it would take me a couple of weeks to feel like I could write, continue to write. It, yes. it really bothered me. Um, and I know where that comes from in my past, but I, I've never been fantastic at taking criticism. Um, and so I knew that was something I had to work on. But by reading your your work, it's helping me to identify that trigger, I guess you can say, and yeah. get past it a little faster than two well, weeks. That's fabulous. Right, you know? <laughs> that's the, that's, the, that's, the, current, that's the, the crucial first step. That's yeah. terrific. Yeah. So yeah, I had to think of that last week where I, uh, I was rejected only on, on submittable. Now they don't call it rejected. They call it declined. <laughs> We've Very changed file vocabulary. <laughs> <laughs> I was declined by a piece I sent into a journal where I was published last year that I thought for sure it's a cardinal mistake, isn't it? Yes. Uh-huh. For sure you're going to get published again by the thing. And, uh, I, for, for about, Three hours I considered quitting writing and mm-hmm. yeah. No, I understand. <laughs> going back to walking dog and <laughs> but the whole point, you know, I think it's good that you bring this up because you know, some people might hear reference to good enough as resignation to mediocrity. Mm-hmm. And it's really not at all. It really is a it's sort of like a a, a guidepost to point you towards more of your essential self. The very nature of this is plenty good enough. In fact, the, the, really the bulk of the book is saying or declaring that we're more than what we think we are. Mm-hmm. We're, mm-hmm. we're more than, so much more than this limited caricature and narrative of not good enough. Mm-hmm. But somehow or another that becomes very powerful and very convincing. Maybe we can talk about that a little later. Yeah, we but definitely the, will. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the meditation helps you connect with that source um, that is, I think of as, as, as being, as this you know, vibrant and fertile uh, ground of being that we are grow out of or born out of, but are connected with. If we're in touch with ourselves, our deepest selves. So I meditate every morning before I write. And honestly, I have some of my best ideas meditating. I know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm not supposed to be thinking, but boy, they just pop up. And mm-hmm. So I wholeheartedly recommend it. And it's a great way to start to separate from this, this sometimes debilitating sense of not being good enough. And so let's talk about the juncture, and I'm going to be very vulnerable here, so listeners are going to, you know, that don't know me are going to hear a little bit of vulnerability. Let's talk about the juncture of the term meditation, because when you come from a a perspective like I have that was very religious, meditation was not considered something that is practiced, even though when you go back and review, we still, in in religious settings, you're still meditating. It's just termed a different way, right? Sure. Um, But... But that, that what can be uh, 
a boundary for people to really go and and have those peaceful moments with themselves to review these concepts that you're talking about. And um, so for me, I've, I've long gotten past that term or what, what it, you know, was signified growing up. It's a practice that, that for me is very good. How I have looked at it is that I have always strived to be exceptional. That comes from my drive from growing up, you know, to be the most exceptional creature yeah. that I could be right. My, and so I strive very hard for that. And in the midst of that, I don't stop and slow down and just, yeah. you know, take a moment to look at these things. So for me, that's, it's the stopping and being mindful. That's very important to me. And that's yeah. kind of how I focus the medica- meditation. So can you help some of our other listeners that might be struggling like I had in the past with just that term meditation, because it's so powerful um, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm sure you come across that in your own practice with others that that struggle with going internal to to have this review of their life and who they are. Yes. Well, boy, thank you. Uh, <laughs> it's an incredible question. There's probably about three parts of it. I, I'd kind <laughs> the of short like, version, I'm, possibly, if right? If I go on, if I go on too much, uh, please stop me. And, and thanks for being vulnerable. It makes it all the, the richer, and I'm sure we can all identify with it. Um, so, you know, meditation is, I've been meditating for 40 years. Mm-hmm. I started then and did Tibetan meditation and Hindu meditation. I've pretty much done them all. Meditation really is just kind of a fancy word or an esoteric word for stopping and sitting with yourself, mm-hmm. doing nothing, being with yourself. <clears throat> I've taken lately to um, turning off the radio in the car when I drive home mm-hmm. and when I drive to work and just being with silence. <clears throat> so for, it's a profound experience to just take as little as five. I tell my patients, just take five minutes mm-hmm. in the morning and sit with yourself and do nothing except pay attention to your inner experience. And, of course, it's like, you know, Cinco de Mayo. The Ferris wheels are going everywhere and Mm -hmm. everybody's dancing. There's just so much going on in your mind. Mm -hmm. But at some point you can get to, it starts to slow down and you can get to recognizing a place of stillness inside. And uh, that's the beauty of it. Because out of that stillness comes quite a some beautiful stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll come back to that in a second. But, in, but um, um, the difficulty is it's um, <clears throat> for a lot of people, particularly people who have experienced trauma or who have problems with anxiety, etc. to sit with yourself is very difficult. It can feel dangerous or overwhelming confusing um, and frightening, in other words, too vulnerable. And so uh, it's not easy. It sounds easy. Five minutes sitting with yourself, no problem, but it's often not. Uh, J.D. Salinger used to say it it took him an hour every morning just to be honest with himself. 
whenever I hear that, I just about want to cry because it's so true, you know, to, there's so much going on in our brains, for better and for worse, and uh, it's hard to really zero in on what's real, who we really are, what we really want, what we care about, and, and uh, clear out some of the uh, rubble. So, for some people, it's scary to sit with themselves. And then the other thing you said that's essential, I think, if I, if I can use part of what you said, Vicki, I know it's vulnerable, but I think a lot of us can relate to it. I know I can. It's, it's, um, it's the notion of trying to, wanting to be exceptional all your life. And this leads into a big chapter I have that's really one of the keys to the book. It's a self-project. And the self-project is all the things we do, all the strategies, all the fantasies, all the, the um, um, maneuvers to try to enhance our sense of self. In writing, it's striving to be brilliant or trying too hard to be clever or maybe outrageous, but it's the psyche's attempt to preserve or restore or inflate um, a sense of self that feels uh, either depleted or insecure or, or something. So the self-project um, is not a fan of meditation <laughs> because it can feel threatening or it feels like uh, it's, be, it's being asked to give up its job, which feels crucial to, um, to preserving or developing self-esteem or to be seen by others or to be validated. So meditation turns out is, is a complicated thing. <laughs> yes. And would you mind if I read a little something here? It's um, just a short verse from a poem. I would love you to. And, and I'm really glad you brought up the self-project part because that's something I wanted us to talk just a little bit about. So definitely read the poem because I think I know which one it is. And, and then let's, we'll continue from there. Yeah, it might not because this is, um, it refers to meditation. This is from, um, some work I'm doing. Uh, I'll be at the PNWA conference in the fall presenting a workshop on uh, using poetry to come through the crucible. And also I'll be with Bill Knower and, uh, in a panel called Writing a Spiritual Practice. Oh, so we're this getting a, a preview. How exciting. <laughs> yeah, this is a, a short, uh, last, the last stanza. The last verse of uh, Wendell Berry's poem, How to Be a Poet. And so it relates to meditation. It really relates to being quiet, not just sitting down and meditating, but in writing. It, it relates to the, to the process of listening and receiving. You know, the problem with the self-project is people think they have to be clever. They have to come up with all this amazing stuff, which is fine, and, and we do. But it's also much of the time, especially when you're stuck, it's a matter, and you may get stuck by trying to be too clever. It's a matter of listening and receiving. So Wendell Berry in this last stands on how to be a poet says, accept what comes from silence. Make the best you can of it. Of the little words that come out of the silence, like prayers, prayed back to the one who prays. Make a poem that does not disturb the silence from which it came. 
Now that just about melts me. I don't know about you, but oh um, well, I well, I'm I'm speechless. So that's a big deal for Vicky. <laughs> 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 you shot. <shocked. laughs> well, if you've done something, others have not been able to on the podcast. So wonderful. <laughs> No, Make how, a poem that does not disturb the silence from which it came. And I just feel like, and it's something that I'm embracing, that that the idea that, you know, for me, when, when the creativity comes about and I say my characters start, you know, really taking over and, and share themselves and my writing becomes super strong, it comes out of that quiet stillness. And it usually for me happens very early in the morning as I'm just waking up and the world yeah, hasn't started to bombard me with life you know work that kind of thing and the dogs are yep. quiet which sorry about the dogs barking earlier everyone <laughs> and um <laughs> it, just, it happens um you know and that's when the characters I st- what happens is I start thinking about my day but then you know my my I call it the creative side starts really coming out in the morning before I even launched out of bed those are my yes. most favorite times of my day because don't you love that i do because i feel like i'm the closest to i don't know what you want to call it the closest to self the closest to create yes the closest some yes. might I say call God, it the creative you know? source yeah you're the closest to the creative source at that time and it's fact, absolutely magical I, I yes that is that's right i think so and what were you I just by, um, saw bellow the other day and he said the, the, the lines, the writing that wakes me up at night is, is the writing I trust most. <laughs> you know, so true. The most pivotal, amazing parts that I feel in my story and that the people that have read the story as it's being evolved and rewritten, um, those are the moments that they have found resounded with them more. And that also gives me evidence that those are the most come from a creative side that is universal because it touches them um, in a way that I'm like, it's same as it touched me. And I'm like, this is, this is a very powerful thing to be able to, yeah, to, to be able to be a writer. I think that's what all of us writers live for is to be able to have those moments come out that we can write them articulate enough and get them into the hands of other people. And those people, anybody gives back to us of, I was touched by that and, and get to have a dialogue about that. So, so. But you know, the beauty of that, I think is, I think a lot of people get stuck and get into writer's block because they put too much pressure on themselves. Mm -hmm. The beauty Mm -hmm. And they, and they think that I'm the writer. I, want to, I'm, I have to do this. I want to do this. But the beauty of this is, if you recognize what you just said, the beauty and truth in it, you realize you're, you're really more um, serving this. Mm-hmm. It's not, you're not as much making it as you're, you're receiving it. You're being kissed by this creative source, mm-hmm. and you're taking that inspiration and helping that come into the world and you're midwifing in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that you don't have real skill that's important, but a lot of it does come from this sort of magical place that we can't really pinpoint at this place mm-hmm. of inspiration and imagination. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, when I wrote my first book novel radiance, I was totally sure I could not do it. I, 
I turned 60 and I made a list of things I was positive I could not do. And I decided <laughs> to find out if that were true. And the first one, I was right. I can't play the piano. But the second, the novel, I wrote this novel, Radiance. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not the greatest novel in the world, but it's, it's plenty good in some respects. And I was awakened in the middle of the night night after night at two or three in the morning with whole paragraphs streaming through my head. Mm -hmm. And that's when I became a writer. I'd written poetry for 10 years before that, but that's when I became a writer. Mm -hmm. and, uh, that changed everything. Mm -hmm. There's a joy that comes about it that my husband has recognized in me. Um, yeah. He's been with me since I was 19 years old, and I'm well past 19, trust me. So he has seen the yeah. metamorphosis of a young woman moving into motherhood, into career, into all these things. And and like I said, I strive to be, you know, exceptional in all that I did. And and But there wasn't always joy behind all of it. There was a lot of yeah. striving. And, That's right. Um, when he he discovered and saw the dramatic change in me when I started to be able to slow down and write yeah. and that creative and and all of a sudden my whole life has changed and he'll be the first to testify and my kids will be too. I'm finding joy in so many other things because I am slowing down. Um, like I laugh at myself because I'm like, oh my gosh, did you smell those roses? And he's like, do you know three years ago you would have never even noticed the smell of the roses? <laughs> and I'm like, but I, I need to write this, you know, so I need to write this down. And so. Well, the self project could obscure so much and that's, mm -hmm. Why I emphasize it and keep coming back to it in the, in the book. And it's a lot like what you mentioned earlier on when you're, you're becoming more mindful and aware of some of the ways your mind can trip you up. And the self-project can and will and does. And, um, you know, it's, but it's so meditation, the other benefit of meditation is becoming aware of our, how our minds work mm -hmm. and becoming aware of how the self-project works allows you to slow down, allows you to really listen and receive. One of my, my favorite line from the book that I wrote is um, that I think captures so much of this is that, um, that um, how did I write this? I left out a part of it. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the challenge is that, uh, so being aware so that you're not uh, mistaking the strivings of the self-project for the promptings of the muse. That's and, and to me, that sort of says so much. Um, mm -hmm. And then you go... The oh, I keep interrupting. I apologize. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> well, so part one of the book, listeners, is talking about the self-project, which is so revealing. And, and I encourage you, if, you know... If this even pricks at you just a bit, it's worth you getting the book. Not just because I want Philip to be successful, but because I want you to be successful. And I feel like as writers and artists, no matter where you're at in your journey, we have to have support like this. And this is a very different type of support that I've seen. So Philip, thank you for writing the book. So the second part of the book, I've Part two, I really loved because you taught, it's called You're a Poem. And you talk a lot about the rhythm and rhyme of, of life and, and spirituality. And I was very drawn to it. I'll tell you, I'm going to read the one part that jumped out to me the most. And 
and now as you're getting to know me a little bit, Philip and listeners, you would understand why this has jumped out to me. You, um, uh, it goes, what is sweet in your life? And I don't mean chocolates. Number one reason why it jumped out at me. <laughs> Where is you? Because <laughs> I love chocolate. Where is the music? Joy. Are you infected with a spirit of seriousness bound by the requirements to be a suffering artist? And, the, uh, and here I am going to be revealing again, and I think we can jump off of this a little bit, is um, so when I decided, you know, I'm going to do the podcast, I'm going to start writing, I'm going to become, I'm going to strive. I, I went into that motion of I'm going to strive to be the best writer, the most amazing podcast person in the world. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm going to do into that. I really took my whole everything so seriously. It was... Yeah it's a good drive. And, and there are times when you have to have a drive. And I agree with that. But also what happened for me is when others weren't taking me as dang seriously as I was taking myself, yeah. <laughs> all of that came crashing back into me in that whole, um, I'm not enough. I'm not doing enough. I need to do more. Something yeah. else I need to do. I need to create more. I need to do this. I need to do that. So I'm not getting myself out. And then that whole cycle starts again. And I almost gave up. I actually wanted to stop the podcast. I wanted to not write anymore. I needed to take a break. And of course, my loving husband said, no, you just need to slow down and stop trying to be something. You're growing. It's a journey. And that was good advice. So talk a little bit about that seriousness that we can get we take ourselves so serious <laughs> that we forget this uh, journey, the beautiful part of the journey. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I'll tell your husband, well done. I mean, uh, uh, he's, uh, he's doing good by you. Yeah. And I, that's what I tell a lot of my people. I say less is more. And mm-hmm. the more you bear down and try so hard, the more constriction you create and harder it is to listen Harder it is to really feel into your characters, let's say. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so that was good. And why are we so serious? I, I don't know. It's such a, so many ways you could go at this, but I'll just take one way, which I think is at the heart of a lot of it. Um, I know it is for me. I, uh, it, it's a problem, I think, of... of insecurity and Mm -hmm. self-doubt a couple years ago when wordstock was still wordstock um they had adam gopnik come in and you know adam gopnik he's Mm -hmm. this prolific writer for the new yorker and Mm -hmm. he must write in his sleep he's worse than john updike i mean every time (laughs) you turn around there's another review or something by gopnik so this panel he was on this panel about making it as a writer in new york city you know, sort of what could be worse. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, well, what, how did you approach it? And uh, he told this story that just, there's a big, you know, big audience in the auditorium at the art museum. He said when he left for, um, when he left for college, he was on the train platform and his father came up to him and, oh, this one always gets me, put his arms on shoulders and said, Adam, never underestimate the insecurity of the person standing in front of you. Hmm. And honestly, Vicki, you could have heard, you, the, the audience gave a collective kind of sigh. Mm-hmm. 
because it normalized it so much. Mm-hmm. And because it got, for, for an instant, out of this sense, this, this teeter-totter of success and failure, and some people got it and some people don't. And that we're, we're all more alike than not and, mm-hmm. and struggling with insecurity. But, a, you know, one primary feature of the self-project is to get very serious, to never let up, to mm-hmm. go at it you know, with all guns and um, to try to, you know, construct a, a, a sense of yourself internally and in the world um, as um, whatever, as successful as, as um, you know, great or special or mm-hmm. what have you, with a million words for it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think a lot of our seriousness is, is comes from that spot. Mm-hmm. Of course, maybe that's easy for me to say because I'm not trying to make a living with writing. Mm-hmm. I have a job, but um, and I, I just want to recognize that for those who are, you know, hats off. That's mm-hmm. incredibly brave and and uh, everything. Um, but I, nevertheless, I think a lot of the seriousness comes from this feeling of urgency and this feeling uh, of necessity mm-hmm. to make make things happen or else. What's the or else? The or else is what you described, that you're ready for collapse, you're ready mm-hmm. to give up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Feeling like a failure of no value. Mm-hmm. All of which is utterly false, but it feels so true. And mm-hmm. Yes. Awesome. Well, wonderful. Well, um, I'm going to ask one more question and then I think we're going to um, take us out of the podcast because I want you to remind our listeners about your speaking engagement that you just kind of alluded to because I would really want to make sure that listeners, at least in the Pacific Northwest, will know that they can connect with you in an audience environment. Um, and then listeners, we're going to come back next week and we're going to we're going to dive a little bit more deeper into the part three through five of um, Philip's book, which I, I love how it's written. He, he talks about the theater of the mind and materials, the novel idea and characters. So he brings down the psychological aspects and tell me if I'm right on this psychological aspects that we have in our working life behind the scenes in ways that us writers are going to identify with very well. <laughs> in my mind. Yeah, good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Great. So, Great. so as we go on the podcast, Philip, as we're, as people are thinking about what you've said and, and the, you know, and then they're getting ready to listen maybe to next week, I hope. Um, can you give one um, positive advice for those of us that are learning this concept of the self-project, you know, what's one thing you would like to tell us as we think about it this week? Oh, uh, the self-project? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well, uh, you know, the self-project is motivated by anxiety. Really. Mm-hmm. So my advice is to um, do a couple of things to, to, through meditation or self-reflection, get to know your anxiety, mm-hmm. what your the fears are, but mostly to try to um, uh, recognize. People have so much trouble recognizing themselves. Mm-hmm. There's a problem. Part of the, the anxiety with writers is that 
and with unfortunately with a lot of our developmental uh, life and earlier life was we weren't seen and so it's very hard to believe that we'll be seen and appreciated or to see ourselves to recognize ourselves so mm-hmm. one thing i do that i suggest to people is to um you know after you've written something been working on something for a while put it down take it up in a week and um and read it over slowly mm-hmm. very very slowly and just try to forget about the journal you're trying to get into or or what have you but just appreciate the good sentence mm-hmm. Just love you did this. This came out of you. Hmm. This is you. This is you, and, and this is you. Um, with the same inspiration that inspired Virginia Woolf, this, the same energy, that same creative spirit's moving through you. What what could be better? Hmm. You belong to the to this great ancestry. That takes it out of takes it some of the pressure off of you, I think, mm-hmm. so that you can, you know, enjoy. Try your best to enjoy the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, Lori Moore, the great short story writer. She writes. She's. I heard her once. This blew my mind. She said, "Well, I'm happy if I write nine sentences a day." Mm-hmm. I said, "Holy crap! Are you kidding?" <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. So less is more. I mean. You know, I have a busy life. I just got my boys are grown and they're in college now, but I didn't have time to write. So sometimes I would just say, if I can just write two sentences, mm-hmm. if I have time, sentences, that's fine. The other thing writers have trouble doing. Can I? Am I going on to? Oh no, this is fantastic because I'm getting chills. So you must have been needing to speak this to me today. <laughs> the other thing writers have doing, as much as they crave it is they have trouble taking in the good. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, I had a thing with my, uh, I, you know, I'm not a household name. My radiance didn't sell, I don't know, maybe it sold 250 copies at the most. I don't think so. But. <laughs> and the writer's crucible, it's not, you know, I don't know, it's not going to be a bestseller. It's not, but uh, I've had some great moments. And mm-hmm. one moment with radiance was uh, my neighbor across the street named Jack was 90 years old dying of prostate cancer, came up to me and um, one day caught me on the sidewalk. I thought we were going to talk about bicycling and like we usually did. He said, you know, I finished your book and because of your book, I'm less afraid of dying. And so whenever I feel doubting or critical of myself or, you know, what, you know, why are you doing this? I remember that moment, just one moment. I don't care if I never sold another book. That was it. So taking in the good, whether it's reading over your material and appreciating, wow, that sentence came out of me. That's a good sentence. <laughs> or whether it's thing somebody said to you or what happened. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Philip. And like I said, I, I am getting chills. So the things that you just said obviously were for me, and I hope they were for other listeners. So listeners... As as you're um, contemplating our next week with Philip, we'll have one more week. You guys are getting an incredible um, ses- two sessions for free, which is thank you, Philip, for sharing your time with us doing this. Um, yeah. 
Um, it's a pleasure. It's been fun. It, it's, uh, it's really great for me. So Philip, before we leave the podcast today, remind us about your speaking Ooh. engagements because I want to make sure that our listeners hear that. Your podcast will be coming out in the summer, but um, I hear that you're doing a face-to-face speaking on a panel in the fall. So share with us that again. And then next week, we'll come back to visit some more. Yeah, this is my trembling edge because, um, you know, most of my life I'm in a cozy little room one-on-one and intimate conversation. So it's always been a fear of mine to uh, go out and do public speaking. And uh, I've always pictured a room full of my brother, the attorney, cross-examining me, (laughs) (laughs) making me feel like a fool. Anyway, I'm getting better. That's a hard one, though. That's really hard for that. So, but uh, next week I'm going to be. um, This this will be past tense by the time your listeners here. But I'm going to be in Corvallis at Willamette Writers on the River, and uh, doing a presentation coming through the Crucible. And then in the fall, more relevant to people, if anybody's, uh, which I imagine some of your people are, going to the PNWA conference. Yes, I'm sure they will be. uh, (laughs) Seattle. It's uh, September. 12th and 13th. I think it's usually the second week in September. And um, I'm going to be doing a solo presentation on this very subject, uh, coming through the crucible. And then I'm going to be doing a panel discussion with Bill Knorr and a friend of his, a woman novelist. I think I'm, I apologize. I don't remember her name. We haven't met yet. Uh, on uh, writing a spiritual practice, which I'm very excited about. I haven't seen it done too much out in, out in the world. So those are the things I know about. Fantastic. Well, I have not been to that conference yet, but I'm putting it on my calendar this weekend to commit myself to to get myself up to Seattle because, you know, you and I, we're, we're south of Seattle. So it's a, you know, I got to get yeah. ourselves up there. That'd be right? great. We could meet in person. It would then, be fabulous. Yeah, I know. I, I have plenty of offers around the Northwest that, yeah, might be there. See, I'm sorry. Interrupt. What was that? <laughs> I think it's a good organization. Mm-hmm. Probably a good conference. Yeah. Yeah, well, well, we'll put it on the calendar. So listeners, um, join us next week as we we dive into with Philip a little bit more in the the last half of his book. Um, If you enjoy this podcast, purchase his book, start walking through it, email him, let him know you heard it on the podcast and mark your calendar for if you live in the Northwest to um, go to that conference and meet Philip face to face. I think that'd be fabulous. And hey, I might even be there too. (laughs) That'd be great. So, Phil, thank you so much for being here with us this um, um, for this episode, and we'll talk to you next week. I very much enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, Vicki. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.